Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality, and I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Today on the podcast, another kick-ass woman who proves there's not just one way to get anywhere or do anything. Lara Spots is someone I've always admired since my days of pitching her when she was an SVP back at Bravo. She was responsible for shepherding hits like Southern Charm and People's Couch. And she also brought Bravo into the scripted world with Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce and Odd Mom Out, which she is now the showrunner of. She jumped to the producer side after many years. It's a great show if you haven't seen it. The third season premieres next Wednesday right after Real Housewives of New York City. And if you haven't seen it, it's really, really funny. Lara, I'm so happy you're here. Thanks for having me. This has worked out great because I'm in New York for my whirlwind tour. (laughs) And you were able to stop by for it. I I can't wait. This is great. So you and I met, let's see, it's a while ago, probably six six or seven years ago. that's right, yeah. At Bravo. You were uh, one of the coolest network execs I ever knew. Um, Still are. (laughs) Although on the other side, but we'll get to that later. Um, Yeah, I just always, you know, I always have this thing that I've talked about before in terms of pitching in LA versus pitching in New York. So, and I'm not alone. And you sort of, to me, encapsulize sort of the pitching in New York, which is like, yeah, I love it. Let's do it. Or like, no, it's not for us. You know, in the room, done, over, no bullshit. Let's just make it quick. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> that, that that pretty much sums it up. I think there are three types of um, development executives. There's the one who says yes to everything in the room, which you leave and you're like, oh my God, I totally sold that. And you never hear from them again. Ever. Um, I feel like ghosting actually originated in television development yes. as opposed to with teen dating. Did um, you did you figure that out? Like, I've never heard that. That's so true. That's, that's just my observation. I'm going to accredit that to you. <laughs> that's amazing. Thank it's you. It's so true. Yeah, never to be heard of again. Never. Then they're <laughs> the ones who say no to everything right. because it's easier that way not right. to take a chance. Right. And then they're the ones who actually understand the concept of development. Like, right. here's your idea. That may not be right, but there's 10% of what you said that's really interesting. Let's work together to figure that if that could be right for our network. So that's, I mean, that's the type of development executive I always try to be. But it it does require the most um, effort, certainly. Effort, but also having been on the other side, right? So you were on the other side, so you understood how to sort of make television. And I think that that is that extra step when a lot of really good executives, not all, but a lot of really good executives have worked on the other side. So they really understand kind of how to shape something, maybe seeing something that you thought originally would work. I mean, I guess for Bravo, that was always a very specific, is and was always a very specific brand. So you could probably tell right away sort of that Bravo filter. You know, it doesn't have as broad a spectrum as a lot of networks. That was always the challenge, which some days (laughs) felt like Velvet Gloves and other days was really exciting, which is Bravo's identity is so concretized. Everyone knows a Bravo show when they see it. But my job specifically was to keep making shows that our audience would love, but also to grow that audience and also to challenge them. So a huge part of the job is to figure out, okay, if you like this, can we take two steps in, you know, to the left or two steps to the right? And will you also like that? And sometimes I was successful and many times I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, but I think you were really good. I mean, just I just thought of one example, literally just in the moment of a show that I brought you and it was, we bravatized it. Like it looks, you know, very bravo. It was slick. It was really well shot. The women were gorgeous. It was basically like a housewives version of the main line of Philadelphia. That was great tape. I it remember. It was great tape. You loved it, but you basically said, and you were absolutely right. And I probably should have realized that when we, or I should have probably just called you before we did it and said, it's not aspirational. <laughs> Nobody wants to live on the main line of Philadelphia as sort of like a, you know, part of your programming is this aspirational thing. Yeah. Right? But you know what? That when we greenlit uh, Real House was a Potomac, that had the same feeling to it. We went through about 30 different titles. What are we going to call this thing to make it sound more aspirational than Real Housewives of Potomac? And ultimately, we owned that. And the whole campaign was hashtag where's Potomac, um, specifically to get ahead of exactly that question of what is possibly aspirational about that area. But those characters were so good, we couldn't say no. But that's what I think. I mean, don't you think ultimately with that example that the characters did went out over, but I still don't think people want to move to Potomac or care, right? But they Agreed. love the characters. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. They're going to win out. That's going to win out every time. 
Absolutely. Okay, so let's go back. So you, I do want to go back to Bravo because you did such incredible things there for a, how long? A good chunk of time. I was there for eight years. Yeah, that's a good chunk of time. Yeah, totally. My longest, my second longest relationship. <laughs> yeah, and especially in this business. Yeah. And especially as a network exec. Well, I was freelance for 15 years before that. So this was my first real job. So where did, okay, so let's go back. So you, tell me how it all started. You get out of college and then what happens? Well, actually, I have to take you back a little farther, and I'll try to keep this a very brief story. Otherwise, it will be extremely boring. But uh, when I was a senior in high school, I was playing hooky one day with my mom, because that's how cool I was. <laughs> really and- cool. <laughs> I mean, she watch was out, cool. guys. Um, and I was, uh, I really didn't want to go to college. I hadn't found any place that excited me necessarily. So I was talking to my mom about it. We were having pizza. And the woman next to us at the table next to us said, well, what do you like to do? She's like, pardon my interrupting, classic New York moment. Um, and I said, I don't know. I like theater. I like stagecraft. I'm super into movies. And so we exchanged numbers. And she called a week later and said, a friend of mine needs a babysitter. Now, I had had a very unfortunate experience with a young boy and a rash one time when I had <laughs> been babysitting. So I was like, there's no way I'm babysitting. Please lose my number. Thanks anyway. And But the woman said, she's a casting director. You should meet her. So I waited a couple days to call, hoping she would have found her babysitter by then. But she said, come on down and meet me. And I met this extras casting director. And I was so googly-eyed to be in that office. And I'm like a high school senior and I loved movies. It was the only thing I was interested in. And there I am in like an extras casting office. So I just kept gushing and I was super excited and asking tons of questions. And she said, you know, the woman who helps us give out the call is not going to be here tomorrow. Do you want to come by after school? And I was like, uh, yeah. So the call didn't come in until like nine o'clock that night. So we had a hundred extras to call with, you know, what the call time was, what the wardrobe was, all of the specifications, whether they needed a change of clothes, if there was wet pay, all of that stuff. And they were like, you know, once I heard them do it about 20 times, they said, do you want to make a few of these calls? Oh so God. I started doing it. So basically I would just go and volunteer at that office when I wasn't working at my record video store, which tells you what year this was. Okay, wait a minute. What happened to the kid? You didn't end up babysitting? (laughs) Never babysitting. Never made that. Never met that kid. Thank goodness. Okay. And so they were basically just free labor. Free labor until one day they said, um, you know, do you want to come work for us? We'll match what you're making at the record video store. Wow. How did you do that? Yeah. I set my salary (laughs) history in that moment and I said, I make $3.25 an hour. So if you you. can match that. Wow. You knew even back then women deserved equal pay. Totally. So I've doubled my salary history (laughs) since then, but that's about it. So that's a great story. So you were already like a little, a little magnet at what, 17? I think I just, that was just a serendipitous, amazing Cool thing. story. And then I worked all through college. I worked for Sylvie Fay, who was the extras casting lord of Manhattan. She did all the um, Law and Orders. She, I, I worked on Goodfellas with Scorsese. Wow. Got to work on The Freshman, Reversal of Fortune, all of these incredible New York movies that were filming while I was in college. That's incredible. So you were here in New York in college? Yeah, I went to NYU. Okay, so then you grad. So you were clearly on the path to film at that point. I went to, um, I was a cinema studies major. So film history, theory, and criticism. I didn't know how to do anything, but I know why. I knew why I would want to use a low angle or a high angle, et cetera. Yeah, but you were getting all this amazing hands-on experience too. Yeah, totally. So then you get out of school and you think, I'm just, I'm going to work on films. Then I had no idea what I wanted to do. (laughs) This is, and that's true now, still. (laughs) I've never had much of a clear direction, but I've just taken jobs that interested me along the way. Um, But I had gone to high school and college in the same zip code, so I was ready to take the Great American Road Trip. So I hit the road, traveled across country for about three months, just picking up friends and dropping them off different places, ran out of money in L.A. with two friends. I didn't even want to stop there because I'd been there once before and had a really (laughs) yucky experience. And I was like, never going back. Did it involve a boy in a rash? (laughs) (laughs) no um that it it, i actually peed myself in traffic because i couldn't find any place to um pull over and go to the bathroom it sounds like an la story it It sounds like my la story every day every day right so i like ended up you know going into the gap and like having to shamefully buy a new pair of pants so i was like i'm done with this town (laughs) and i didn't know anyone and la can be a very lonely city and it's so huge you know coming from new york there was no way to even get a sense of it right So, uh, yeah, I didn't even want to go to L.A., but we had some friends out there, and we stopped and had a couple of fun weeks and then realized we didn't have enough money to come back to New York. So we got a six-month lease, and I started temping. And right when my temp job was about to end, I got a job with Marjorie Simpkin, who's a casting director. 
Interesting. So you went back into casting, and mm-hmm. was that for TV or film? That was TV and film. Okay. Um, I think the first thing I worked on with her was Indian in the Cupboard, and so I, I helped her that. find the Native American, Lightfoot. So you're directly responsible for that? Helped. Helped. Okay. That's very cool. Yeah. Okay, so then what happened? So then, um, well, then I did a bunch of different jobs with her, um, and then I heard about this job opening um, on a show called Real World, and um, oh, we're I— We're going way back. We're going way back. I love and it. So I was super into it, and I went and I applied for the job, and I was a casting associate on Real World London, again, which tells you how far back that is. Is that like third season? Yeah. Okay. So I met one of my—it was third or fourth. Okay. Because uh, it was— San Francisco, San Francisco was third. third. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't remember what second was. It went New York— Right, New York. I think was it, <sighs> it New York, New York, San Francisco. I don't know. I we're not open to Google right now. Maybe but. it was New York, San Francisco. Maybe then London. I I can't yeah. actually remember. If it, it was, was early Real World. Very early. And did you go to London? No, but okay. we did. You know, all the casting that we did was this was before the internet. Right. So wow. we watched. Um, I met m- one of my best friends on that job, who was also a casting associate, who's Carmen Cuba, who's a huge casting director now. She does all of Soderbergh's movies. She did Stranger Things. She's a incredible casting director. Um, but right at that point, she was just a little schmuck like me. Um, and we, we, the system was very interesting. They made it so that every person who applied had to be watched by two people, which I thought was really cool because that meant it couldn't be purely subjective that you were like, well, I don't like that person. They're a no. Absolutely. So between this team of about six of us, we watched 20,000 VHS submission tapes. Oh, my God. So that's interesting. So that's early real world, but not early enough where you hadn't seen it, right? So these kids— That's right. Because I always say it sort of starts to become a caricature of itself, It was—at right? that point, it still wasn't yet. Still it certainly No one knew about the obligatory threesome in the outdoor shower on the first <laughs> night. Like, it was— That was pre-hot tub. Exactly. It was more, a more innocent real world, but, okay. but the beginning of self-aware. And what were you looking for versus maybe what other people were looking for? I think that—well, one of the things that I loved about working with Carmen even that early on was we were really interested in what, what hadn't we seen on TV— um, we actually had been talking, uh, about if there was maybe a professional soccer player that we could get in the house. Um, I think his name is Kobe Jones. We tried to get for a while and that was looking pretty good, but we ended up with that, um, race car driver who ended up being kind of a boob. Mm-hmm. He wanted to put ranch dressing on everything. Do you remember Perfect. him? He was like the archetypal <laughs> American. I don't even know if I saw that season. Was it all um, Americans in London? Or no, was it, it was a mix. Okay, um, and actually, Jacinda Barrett, um, the actress, was in that season. She really? was a model from oh, Australia. I love her. Oh my so god! So we had plucked her Get from out. yeah from her from bloodline, modeling right? days. Yeah, exactly. She's That's bloodline. crazy. Wow. So what? That was like ninety five. Yeah. Okay. So while I was on that show, and then we'll fast forward after that, they were working on this new show called Road Rules. Right, of course. Um, and I was like, I've driven across country four times. I, I, I asked Mary Ellis at Butum if I could talk to her. So we were like walking down the hall, and she was amazingly talented, but not necessarily the warmest um, when you were low level and didn't have a lot of contact with her. And just to clarify, so she was half of Boone and Murray, which is a very successful uh, production company that actually started the real world. So and. I mean, one could argue started reality television with right, that right. show. And she passed away a while ago, about yeah. 10, 10 years yeah, ago? Yeah, I think that's yeah. about right. Was she like a mentor to you? She, I didn't I didn't know her well enough for okay. her to be a mentor, but um, she had come from um, daytime. Okay. And so she knew a ton about TV and really understood production and the grind of it with, you know, how unbelievable it is that they sh- used to shoot soaps like Day by day, like that. She was used to that grind. Yeah. Um, so sorry, I interrupted. You were so I, you know, I basically just said, like, look, I, I've driven across country four times. Like, I am your target audience for the show. I would love to do. At that point, it was research, but it was really what, what are the missions and jobs that the kids are going to do? And she was like, you know, we're really looking for associate producer level. And I was like, pay me what you're paying me now, three twenty five an hour. <laughs> right. And you uh, knew how to drive. You didn't want to be an agent back then. <laughs> I clearly have a career in that. Um, and I just said, you know, give me give me a, a chance. And if, if I'm no good, then fire me. Awesome. So this was, you know, obviously way before Survivor. It was way before Fear Factor. Right. There were no games producers yet. So this was really the first time that people were doing anything of that order. And we put a, um, there was a, in the that year of casting, Carmen was casting that season. And I remember she was lobbying really hard to put this Native American girl on. 
And that is just so emblematic of what Carmen's career has become. She's all about diversity. Yeah. And just and just representation beyond diversity, just really, um, especially in reality, but certainly in scripted, what she does, too, is just making sure that that world is reflective of what our country looks like. I love that. So um, so what did you actually do on Road Rules? I did all the missions and the jobs. Okay. Because remember, each time they got yeah. to a location, they would have to either accomplish something. So yeah. you, produce, you basically were producing at that point. Uh, just that section <laughs> okay. of what they Segment were. Segment producing, as yes. we call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. That's great. So that must have been an incredible experience. I mean, did, it you was lo- amazing. did it live up to what you thought it was going to be? Yeah, it was, it was awesome. And then we actually started pre-production on the third season, which was international. So that they went all through Europe. So I was, um, again, because this is pre-internet, I was faxing with <laughs> um, the Anne Frank house, trying to wow. get them to let us go there for uh, for Road Rules Europe. And so it was it, it was amazing. It was really, I, I don't know, that was a very, very cool set of jobs. Yeah, totally. And what were you feeling, how were you feeling about LA at the time? Um, both of my friends who had wanted to move there had moved back to New York. out. <laughs> Bye, girl. Yeah, they, um, one of them was sick of working at Jerry's Deli. So he was like, I'm out of here. We still have Jerry's. <laughs> right in our neighborhood. Yeah, it's not that good. Uh, no. But, um, the matzo ball soup is pretty good. Yes, actually. yes. Um, I was feeling fine about it. Yeah. I was. I mean, you were I was, probably working your ass off. I was, and I was, you know, twenties and poor, right. and um, but like mad crushing on a bunch of different people, yeah. and it was fun. Yeah, I can I see a, that. I was in a very lucky twenties. I right. just had a great time. That's awesome. Yeah, and then what? No happened? responsibilities. Yeah, the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> so then I did. Um, I ended up going into post on a few things. Really. Um, so I, I worked on a couple uh, documentary series. Uh, I was working at one company um, doing uh, development for them, and they were freaking out because uh, the producer who was doing this um, documentary about tattoos, uh, Tattoo, Beauty, Art, and Pain, it was called, had actually plagiarized um, in his VO. So they were scrambling to figure out what to do. And I was like, well, why don't you let me take a crack at it? And they were like, well, we don't have a budget. And I'm like, well, that's no problem. I'm already being paid as this research to do development, so I'll just do it. So that was the first time I got to write something for TV, and that was really, really cool. That's excellent. So uh, hold on, plagiarized, uh, I don't even get that. Like a tattoo artist plagiarized from what? So it was a documentary about the history of tattoos. So when he, when we were talking about the Maori and the um, type of tattooing method that they used, he just lifted passages straight out (laughs) of his source material um, and put it in the VO. Got and it. so, how'd they figure that out? I think one of the executives had figured it out at the network, and um, they obviously the company was horrified and trying to figure out what to do. So, was that's interesting because that was pre every single tattoo show on the earth, way right? before it. Yeah, that Did was a have, straight documentary. Like it didn't innocent, have any it had really like an innocence of it. Yeah, innocent, no reality yeah. elements to it. That's interesting. So, did you like post? Loved it. Yeah. Um, I There was this editor who was working at that company named Eric Beatner, who I fell in platonic love with. Um, <laughs> I'm still obsessed with him to this day. He, he's still editing? Yeah. and he, But he also does a jajillion other things. Okay. But he's incredibly fast. And I had never seen what, how you could take the same footage and put it together in eight different ways um, and really alter the meaning or the sentiment or the feeling. And so I learned, I would just sit in his bay. And even well after I had written the VO for the show that we were working on at the time, um, just to watch and that I think that that's still one of my favorite things is being in the edit bay. Me too. Me I'm too. Ju- I'm amazed. I mean, yeah. on the show that I'm on right now, I I'm still coming home and saying I can't believe what we did by change shaving a few seconds off that music cue or replacing this shot or going with a different take. Like I just. I, I I can't believe it. I'm 45 and I'm still like so impressed by the magic of editing that, you know, I've been watching for 20 plus years. It's incredible. I have a sizzle, just quick side note of that exact thing. I have a sizzle I'm working on now and the first pass, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's comedy, which is really hard with music and you're working on comedy right now. We'll get to that um, with Album I'm Out. So that's a very specific type of nail it, don't nail it. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. sort of, there's some that can be sort of generic and you can get away with whatever background music and it doesn't matter as long as it sort of evokes a mood. 
But with comedy, it's so different. And it's amazing what some tweaks to some moments, songs, you know, um, sound effects, beats. It it went from like, eh, to hilarious. And it's also so subjective. I mean, that's the other thing is you can have an editor who you're working. Yeah, we got into it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you could be even just someone who like you're totally in sync with. You know that you're making the same show. Well, and it's the thing, even though I thought we had the same sense of humor, the things that he picked out that were funny to me were the least funny things. And I have, of course, I think I'm right. So it's like, all my changes work perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't be more pleased with myself. Someone literally (laughs) just asked me, um, how do you think Odd Mom Out the season is? Like, is it funny? And I was like, I can't say empirically it's funny, but it is exactly my sense of humor. So I think it's hilarious. (laughs) I love that show. I don't want to, I don't want to skip ahead yet because I want to get the full trajectory, but we will get into that because that's such a great show. Um, Okay. So then how long did you stay in LA? I was there for 15 years working freelance. So I basically, I started- You moved back for the Bravo job? Yeah, that's exactly right. So I basically, the very short version is I started in pre-production with casting, got into post with all that writing, um, got to write on a scripted show out there, which was amazing. Yeah, The L Word. I saw that in your bio. Yep. So talk about that, because I was a huge fan of that show. That was Showtime. It was like a female ensemble show about a group of very gorgeous, hip (laughs) lesbians living in LA. I've never seen a group of lesbians who actually is that gorgeous, by the way. Well, I was going to say, is that kind of meta? Because, like, were you hanging out with, like, hot lesbians in L.A. too, talking and doing the same stuff? I mean, I do, weirdly, I do have a little, like, coven of ladies. Um, We all worked on this movie all over me. Um, Also circa 1995. And that was Jamie Babbitt, who's a huge director now. Okay. Um, And and, uh, Angela Robinson. It it just happened to be that there were... All of these real movers and shakers. One of my best friends, Chris Nee, uh, who started Doc McStuffins, created Doc McStuffins. Yes, of course. So there, it's um, it, I, I I'm lucky to have been part of a weird little privileged class of lezzies who seem to be killing it right now. I don't know that we were all that hot, but we, well, we definitely well, worked hard. You, you fit into that category. <laughs> Thank you. Well, there were, I I don't know why, I watched every single episode of that show. Like, I have very close lesbian friends who fell off, like, after season two. Yes, they, like, they jumped the shark yeah, early. I don't, I still, I, till the bitter end, all that cancer stuff, I was in. That's I, because Shonda I, wasn't giving you what you needed right, yet. Yeah, exactly. Right? I was you too, had they a, were teeing me up for yes, Shonda. exactly. Yeah, I can do the slow burn. I liked it. I liked it. Okay, so then... Yeah. So then how did did Bravo happen? Did they call you? No, I actually had done. um, So I did. Then I basically was like, I need some more field experience. And then once I had done that, I was like, oh, I'm a producer. Like I've done. So uh, you were in the field on L Word? Not on L Word. But um, But after that. Exactly. Um, I produced my own documentary with some friends. Um, So I really felt at that point like I understood all that went into definitely reality. Okay. Um, and I had done a development lab over at VH1 for about six months, which was like a development incubator. And it was run by Jen Levy, yeah. who was at VH1 at the time. That's so funny. Who I adore. Yeah, now she's at Netflix, right? Now she's at Netflix, yeah. yeah but when she left VH1 and went to Bravo, I stayed friends with her. And basically what happened, the reason I stopped being freelance was I had twins. And I needed healthcare, so I basically needed <laughs> right. to grow up. <laughs> right. So I was like, you had oh. them here in LA. I, I had them in LA. Oh, exactly. I didn't know that. Okay. So I was like, oh, Mama needs a real job, <laughs> right. and uh, I heard about this job um, largely through Jen at Bravo, but it was in New York, and she was like, I, you know, I'm not gonna, I can't recommend that you move to New York. So I had said to my mom, who had been a New Yorker, tried and true, and had moved to LA because both my brother and I were out there at the time. I was like, is it okay if I apply for this job in New York? And she was like, of course, Larry, don't worry about it. (laughs) I told my wife, I was like, what do you think? Like, are you open to this? And she was like, totally apply for it. And once I got the job, they both had exactly the same reaction, which was, we never thought you were going to get it. (laughs) So they got on the phone after like, poor little Lara, poor little dreamer, Lara. Wow. Yeah. So I called their bluff and then moved to New York. You did. And was your wife into it? Yeah. Like when a push came to shove? Yeah. And we, it was one of those, um, real relationship moments because right. she was supposed to start as an assistant assistant district attorney at the LADA's office. What? I didn't know she was an ADA. Yeah. So she was going to start there in two weeks when I got the job in New York. Oh. So that was a nice Robert Frost <laughs> so you, type moment. <laughs> right. So you took the road more profitable? <laughs> we took the slightly more profitable road. And so um, did she end up working in New York in the DA's office as well? She actually took care of our little dudes for a okay, while. Right. Um, okay. And now she's getting back into How old that. are they? They're going to be 10 this year, this oh, in July. That's right. They're just like the same as 
my daughter's going to be 10 in October. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm sure they're lovely and don't talk back. And You know what? Actually, this is a, they're, they are lovely right now. <laughs> right. They, they aren't. Enjoy it while you can. Exactly. Boys get better as they get older. Girls get worse. <laughs> I think that there are going to be a few years where they just shut the door and yeah. don't oh, yeah. speak to yeah, me. Yeah, they for, don't talk. Yeah, right. about seven years. But we're not there yet. They still are. <laughs> they still like you. Yeah. They're Aww. in a, a, a full bloom edible phase and I'm milking it for everything Aww, I can. Oh, good. <laughs> so here's the thing. Okay, so you go from like this freelance life and doing all these really cool things and, you know, kind of, I mean, freelance has its own set of things, right? Because you're, I always say it's like you're like the monkey on the tree going from branch to branch, just hoping that the branch will be there. Yeah. So, and like, like you said, healthcare, all that stuff, right? But there's also sort of an excitement and adrenaline rush of all these different types of projects. And then you go to be a network executive. So that had to be a huge... I mean, what was it like to even make that decision in terms of, like, were you a Bravo watcher at that point? I, I... It wasn't as big as it is, right, when you yeah, went? Like, it you, was, I mean, I was, and and even the whole time I worked there, yeah. I was a casual Bravo viewer. Right, I was right. more of the order of the um, Top Chef, Million Dollar Listing. Yeah. That was more my subset. Yes. I definitely could get deeply sucked into Real Houses of Beverly Hills or Real Houses of New York. Um, but I wasn't, and I even, I mean, as I said, the whole time I was never consuming all five of the franchise at the same time. Um, but I I don't think I had, it was really determined. I thought that they were doing very brave things. Um, I loved, I mean, I loved Project Runway, which was their biggest show, right? And I loved Top Chef. And at the time, that was much more their brand identity. Yeah, yeah true. Um, we, were, we only, I think uh, Atlanta was launching... While I was there, okay. so it or Atlanta had launched an so only OC, it, OC yeah. and New York, right, so right. New Jersey and Atlanta launched right when I All got right. there. So it was a much much different ratio yeah. of the programming. Interesting. So I probably actually was a more avid Bravo viewer at that time. Yeah. So what was it like? Just putting the view the actual shows aside, what was it like to be on the network side versus a producing side? I will say that in the entire time that I worked at Bravo. It was the smartest people I've ever worked with. Wow. I think I think the world of the people over there. They are constantly innovating. Um, they are never satisfied with um, what's easy or what comes naturally. It is always about pushing the envelope um, aesthetically, um, storytelling-wise, um, the way that they market, the way that they um, – promote. I just digitally, they're always on the cusp of partnering with TaskRabbit before anyone knows what that is. Mm -hmm. um, and that made it a really, really, really exciting place to be. Yeah. Um, part of what was interesting was right when I got there was when the housing market crashed. And it yeah. was, you know, there we were on the cusp of launching two more Real Housewives franchises. Yeah. And there was constantly this question for the next few years, right. how tone deaf are yes, we right. to really be catering to this upper echelon and depicting these lives that a lot of people are having ripped from them? So where did you fall? Was it basically people still want escapist television? Go for it. Yes, that was half of it was escapist. I mean, that's when Beverly Hills came out, which yeah. is the crown jewel <laughs> of Talking aspiration. About <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but people that wanted was it. Full on escapism, yeah. and you know, and then everyone says in the 1920s with the Great Depression, people wanted to see pretty things and really feel that sense of that there's something other than the Dust Bowl. Um, now, did you have anything to do with the Housewives, the new Housewives franchises? I mean, were the, did those all go through you? Dallas and Potomac, yeah. Okay. So, um, okay, because the other ones were already in existence. And, right, yeah. okay. And did you have a personal favorite or do you have a personal favorite? I mean, Atlanta makes me laugh more than anything. <laughs> right. um, but I do, I, can't, I mean, I can't with the Beverly Hills women. I just, I that one is, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with Lisa Vanderpump. It's uh, <laughs> I don't Lara. It's hard not to be. Did she call you at all hours of the <laughs> night or was that reserved for Andy? That was more for production. And Alex Baskin. Yes, exactly. Who gets tested all, all hours <laughs> of the night. Oh my God. So um, all right, in terms of being a network person, because I'm always fascinated. I don't have a lot of network people on the podcast because it's always hard to get permission, honestly. Mm -hmm. You know, even though it's I think it's pretty innocuous. But one of the things that I think is really useful about being in an at a network, with you know, if you do go back to producing, which you did, is knowing how a network thinks, right? So that when you're on our side, you're not, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone, like, I don't get it. This is a perfect show for them. Why are they not buying it? And I think probably when you're on the network side, you have a lot more insight into how a network thinks. And that probably makes you a much better seller. 
Yeah, I mean, that's... I I feel like it was... I hope that I am an infinitely better producer now. And I think, truthfully, the biggest thing was I definitely was of the school of thought of, like, if you hired me, you want my vision, right? Like, as a producer. And I, having been at the network long enough, like, I have a lot more humility about it. I remember every single day they're writing the check. They are the client. I am there to please them. My creative vision, you know, I will advocate for it. I will... um, definitely articulate it. And then when they, and if they say no once, then I'll say it again. If they say no a second time, I know to let it go. They, they are the boss. And so I think even beyond the, the machinations behind the scenes, which also I have gotten insight into that just as a basic difference about being a producer is huge. I mean, there were times on Odd Mom Out where we were desperate for more money. We wrote an insanely ambitious season and the network was in love with the scripts, but I knew there was no way we were getting another penny. So it was about make it work. How do we get what we need? How do we make the show tell the stories that we want to tell on what exists? There wasn't any going back to the well. So that's a huge part of it. Yeah, that's interesting. So you were actually a huge part of Bravo getting into the scripted game, right? Yeah. That was, was it something that just felt like a natural evolution for the network? That was, it was under Lauren Zelaznik that she wanted to try and do that. And I think it was at a moment where that was, um, as Real Housewives kept getting bigger, it was an opportunity to say, hey, we're not just the Real Housewives network. And I think in the beginning, it was much more of a prestige play. It was a, you know, what could our Mad Men be? What (laughs) would, um, you know, something that could give us some real critical acclaim. And in the very early onset of development of scripted, we were going going much more in that direction. Um, and it was pretty soon into um, branching into scripted that Lawrence Lasnick m- moved into a different job at NBC Universal and Francis um, became the head under Bonnie. And um, that then changed. The, it became, um, an, a, the mandate for scripted became more about it's another lure in the water. How yeah. do we get people who aren't currently watching our air to want to come for a scripted show and then say, well, hey, this is really funny or this is really interesting. Maybe I should be sampling what else is on Bravo. And it works. So the first show was Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, mm-hmm. which was, tell, like, talk a little bit about how that even came in. And also, I just wanted to say what's super interesting about your job was that you got to do both because usually there's two different departments. Scripted and unscripted. Yeah. I mean, I think that was, there were a few things that were kind of amazing about that. Number one, um, I couldn't have gotten a scripted job anywhere else, right? I had very little experience. I had a short that I had written and co-produced that had premiered at Sundance, and I had written on one season of The L Word. That was my entire scripted CV. But at Bravo, I had more experience than anybody in scripted. Right. So that was amazing. Amazing. But the other thing is, because it's scripted is so much more expensive than reality, and our reality shows are doing gangbusters Mm ratings-wise, it was never a full commitment to scripted. So it was always... Dipping the toe. Exactly. We've been dipping the toe for about five years now. (laughs) So um, the water's fine, but we're we're still good on the side. But uh, so, yeah, it was a very, very rare opportunity to be running both. So did Girlfriend's Guy come in through Mar- Marty Knoxon? Yeah. I mean, interestingly, that show had been developed as a half hour oh, okay. um, at, you know, I can't actually remember if it was Showtime or HBO at this point, but oh, it was really? one of those two. Huh. And um, initially we thought it was a great script, but we weren't developing half hours because yeah. the finances don't really make a lot yes, of sense. Right. So we had passed on it and then suddenly it came back up and then we were developing it as an hour. So I I really like Girlfriend's Guide. I think it it definitely fits in the Bravo milieu. I mean, it's sort of, you know, she lives in this fabulous house and she looks amazing and she's like late 40, you know. Um, and it's now in season four or is it it's yeah. done really well, right? Or how does it stack up against the unscripted stuff? Every show does differently, yeah. right? So the Real Housewives ratings obviously are monsters. They right. really are our blockbusters. Yeah. Um, and then we there are home run shows. Then we have a couple shows that are singles or doubles, <laughs> right. and they're more in the sort of 400 to 600 level range. Is that Million Dollar Listing? Is yes. That, is that Top Chef or does Top Chef go? That's exactly right. Okay. Those are the Top Chefs, okay. the Million Dollar Listings, yeah. even some of the um, smaller ensemble shows. Okay. Then we have this sort of burgeoning class that sort of hovers around a million that isn't the um, Real Housewives, but is the Shaws of Sunset, Vanderpump, that kind of show. Got it. Um, Girlfriend's Guide and uh, and the other scripted shows, they're pretty competitive with our singles and doubles, um, The, but they're 
they're different shows for us. There, yeah. we are trying to, by design, offer something that isn't what the Bravo audience is coming there for. And so we're trying to both expand our audience and also expand what they're open to. Yeah, I love that. So talk about the evolution of of uh, Mom Out and how it came to be. It's a great story. So Jill Kargman came into the office uh, wearing the most insane shoes I'd ever heard and I had n- ever seen. And I had never actually seen someone who presented like her. She has this like incredibly high fashion sense. Yeah. But it's also kind of goth. Right. I call it avant goth. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, and I really had just never, she's such a presence with her pale skin right. and her tall, skinny figure and... I was like, whoa, you're you're amazing. Uh-huh. And she <laughs> was pitching. You? Yeah, exactly. Like, where have you come from? <laughs> um, and she was pitching a morning talk show. Oh, really? Yes, called Wake the Fuck Up. <laughs> and uh, it was really funny tape. And yeah. she was so funny. Yeah. Um, and so we talked about it in the department. And, and um, you know, I went back to her and I said, we don't program in the mornings currently, but you're really funny. Do a little bit more thinking and come back to us with something else. So they came back to us with a late night talk show. And I was like, yeah, we got that. The EVP (laughs) of our network currently has one of those. So, so Andy had said, you know, do you think she would ever be on Real Housewives of New York? And the truth is she, we never would have gotten access to her real life. She's in a, in a, in a league that would never allow cameras to any of the places that she goes. And she gets it way too much. Totally. I mean, there would be no, exactly. Um, though her life is really fabulous. So we actually went, you know, we had read some of her essays and we went back to her and said, you know, would you ever do a Curb Your Enthusiasm type version of your life, show of your life? And she was like, yeah, I would love that. I just never thought anybody would buy that. So, and it was similar to something she had developed previously, Momzilla's. Right. And that was based on a book. I had actually read, I read a few of her books and that was one of them. It's sort of like a takedown of the Upper East Side and and sort of, you know, calling it as she sees it, even though she's actually a part of it. Exactly. So we um, we made a $75,000 presentation right. tape that was non-union, and it was 15 minutes. Yeah. And we thought that it would be more improv, um, a real true hybrid. Yeah. Um, and once we started developing it, we realized this is a full-on scripted. scripted show. Yeah. And we, as, again, we were not in the business of half hours. It didn't make any sense financially for us. There was also no studio because we had given them the idea. Right. We actually owned it. Wow. So unlike most scripted shows that right. have a studio right. whose deficit financing it, mm. that wasn't in place here. So we took this weird oddball tape to one of our development offsites. I had no idea what the response was going to be, and everybody loved it. And it really became this thing of like, are we going to do this? Are we going to? Are we going to make a show that we have? No experience trying to make um, and no financial template for um, just because we all think it's really funny and that she feels like such a natural, undeniable, but different extension of the Bravo voice. And Francis Barrick said, hell yeah. I love it. So it was interesting to me because I remember seeing the first episode and then I always look at the credits and seeing Left Right. I'm like, Left Right? I know those guys. They've done amazing unscripted TV, but... I was very surprised only because, again, it wasn't the usual suspects at all. Well, that that's that, that's very astute of you to point <laughs> that out. So Jill had come in with a company called Piro pitching that morning show. When we thought it was more hybrid, I had reached out to Ken and said, Ken Druckerman at yeah. Left Right, and said, hey, will you guys meet with Jill and see what you think? Um, he was doing a show at the time called Small Town Security, which I thought was the best show on TV. Yeah. In fact, I would spend a lot of my time at Bravo talking about this amazing AMC show, and everyone was like, what are you doing? Or yeah. A&E show. And, uh, no, it was AMC. Oh, it was? Oh, yeah, was. Yeah. yeah. It just sounded wrong when I yeah, said it. No, yeah, no, you're right. It was right. I mean, it was very artsy, quirky. It was and a comedy, but so like funny. almost like Fargo in a way, right? Yes. Yeah. That's a great comparison. So then, so it was kind of like you want, you knew they had the sensibility to do a hybrid-y type show. Exactly. And so then once we were really getting into it, they were like, yeah, this is, this is full-on scripted. So they brought in Jax Media, Tony Hernandez, oh, who— Amazing. You know, yeah, exactly, who is basically, for anyone who doesn't know, he produces every single New York-based scripted comedy. So I'm curious about that because I'm just getting into the scripted world and and sort of figuring out how you put the pieces together. So what, quite honestly, like, why would you not just go to Jax and not go to Left Right? Because they don't do physical production in a we, way that Left Right does? No, Jax is absolutely physical production. Okay, soup to nuts, everything. We just didn't know. We okay. really, I mean, when we brought in Left Right, we really thought the show was going to be much more of a hybrid. Got it. Especially because I couldn't say hey, I want to develop a half-hour scripted, yeah. right? That would have just been a no thank you. Right, So right, right, it right. was, 
<laughs> it evolved. Yeah, it evolved. Interesting. And so, in a very classic development process way, right? You've got to yeah. be open to what is the show going to become. We had no idea when we when we paid for that $75,000 development reel. I thought the story that I heard was that um, Jill was sort of a reluctant star of the show. I don't know why I thought that. No. Okay. I mean, once it was we always said that about to her, Jill. Yeah, and, and in, tr- in truth, even though Jill has never been a professional actress before, yeah. she acted a lot at Yale. Okay. Um, and I think that she, you know, her story is very, very interesting. I think she really would have wanted to pursue it, but it wasn't necessarily a respectable career for someone you know, uh, with her background. Yeah. So being able to do that at 40 to get a show where you're the star and you have no professional acting credits was a dream come true. It's such a funny show. I love it. I've sent like full episodes to my parents, like the Yom Kippur (laughs) one. I love that episode. Oh my God, because it's just literally our entire life. (laughs) And I love the sub, the casting is so I don't know where the brother-in-law came from, but he's like a piece of heaven. Sean Clyer, he's so he's, hot. It's insane. He's so hot. And also <laughs> fucking hilarious when he wears that man bun. <laughs> and then this, the friend, Kiki KK Glick. I worked with her, I think, at Oxygen, right? Was she a producer back she, in the day? She was a producer, and she was at Food Network for a while. Okay. I think that she, I worked with her at Oxygen way back when, like 15, 16 years ago. Other than Jill, KK is the only one who is from the original presentation. Really? We replaced everybody because it was, as I said, not a non-union tape. Yeah. But their chemistry was so good that we just plucked her. I love and it. put her in the show. I, I, I love her. I think she's the yeah. heart and soul of that show. Yeah, she is. And I love the husband too from The Office. Great. That and Joanna Cassidy is a genius. Abby Elliott. I mean, we're, I feel so lucky to work with them. It's So what made you go then from running this huge department with all of these shows to go, because now just to bring us up to the present, you're the executive producer of uh, Mom Out. And so you I like it when you say that. It sounds so nice. <laughs> say it again. Executive your EP of Bravo's first second scripted, well, first scripted comedy. First scripted comedy. Um, so what made you take the leap? Um, I when uh Julie Rottenberg and Elisa Zaritsky, uh, who were the showrunners for the first two seasons, they did a fantastic job. And they were from Sex in the City, right? That's right, and yeah. Smash. And when oh, wow. they, when it came time for us to pick up the third season, they said, look, we love the show, but we want to write our voice and not Jill's anymore, which I really respected. And it's actually very common in a third season mm-hmm. for showrunners to say, okay, the show has its legs. The blueprint has been created. We're going to go do something else. You know, let the show get up and walk on its own. Yeah. Um, and I had obviously been on the show since the very beginning, um, developed it with Jill even before they had come on. And so when that position became available, Francis, we, we, I met some people and Francis was like, you know, the best person to do this job is you. <laughs> and so when someone offers you. <laughs> wow. I mean, my only scripted credit before that had been a staff writer on The L Word. So That's when someone point. offers you a chance to show around a scripted show, let alone one that you love and understand so deeply – I was like, oh, my God, you know, the the door opened a crack and I took a battering ram and just ran through it. So, wow. So what did that mean then? So you had to hire writers or was it the same crew? Was it sort of taking over the existing show or like how what does it what does it mean to be a scripted showrunner? The the first thing that I had to do was hire writers and we had very little time to do that um, because it had taken a while for me to extricate myself contractually from my last year at Bravo to move over to this position. Um, And we had about a week. So I I spent a weekend and I read 62 scripts. Um, We brought back Lindsay Stoddart, who had been on season Uh two. Um, I read Ali Musica, who had been uh, an executive producer on Entourage, had come all the way up on Entourage from... um, from the writer's assistant wow. for, for all of those Great seasons. Um, there's a guy, David Sidoroff, who I read, um, baby writer, really funny, really talented. And that was our whole room. We were a very small room with Jill, obviously. Right, right. Um, and our writer's assistant. And so that was the first thing we had to do. A lot of the department heads in terms of staffing for the rest of the crew returned. But we did lose some key hires because it was the first time that Broad City was shooting at the same time as Odd Mom Out. And one of the greatest things that Jax does is they have their people who they just cycle through their different series. Right. Um, so we lost a couple really key people and trying to replace them was terrifying and I think uh, worked out really well across the board. 
Wait, so how many episodes is the third season? Ten episodes. So what is it? So you you get in the writers' room, you break the stories. Yeah, we spent um, we spent nine weeks uh, in the room, nine to ten weeks. We had in the first two weeks we had our season arc. Okay. Um, we pitched it to Bravo, and they were very open to Can a lot you give of us crazy a things. It's nuts this season. Um, <laughs> we still in New York. We're definitely still in New York. Okay. Um, I think the thing I was most excited about was getting to know these characters in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, we know them so well after two full seasons that trying to see some new shades and also bring up different dynamics. One of my favorite storylines in the history of the show, it's long, long history of <laughs> 30 episodes, um, is this episode 107 where Vanessa, uh, Jill's best friend, and Jill's mother-in-law, Candace, uh, have these scenes together in the emergency room. And they were a very unlikely pairing of the the different um, combinations of characters. And I loved that. And so that was something we also really tried to lean into this season. But um, there are some, we really, we left it all on the floor in season three. We wanted to, there there may be some trips. There, someone may serve on jury duty. Um, <laughs> we really wanted to try and broaden the world. Uh-huh. Uh, there's, I don't really know how much I can or cannot reveal. We did have some fantastic guest stars. One of my, I will say one of my favorite episodes okay. is um, we we go home with Brooke for Thanksgiving. And Brooke um, is the sister-in-law, Abby Elliott. And uh, we- comes from money, right? Enormous amounts of <laughs> right. Greenwich money. And uh, and she's um, actually like a, they, they trace their- their lineage back. They're they're actually Puritans. <laughs> of course. So um Jill and Andy end up going to uh, Thanksgiving with Brooke and Lex. And it's Brooke, you meet Brooke's two sisters. And her older <laughs> sister is played by Christine Taylor, who's amazing. And her I younger haven't sister. I've seen her in a while. She's so right. funny. She's really good. And that was that was such an honor to work with her. And then her younger sister's played by Meredith Hagner from Search Party, who's amazing. Oh, the blonde girl? Yes. She's great. So to see the three of them together and watch that sisterly dynamic um, at a traditional Thanksgiving meal is, I I hope that it's, like what you said about the um, Yom Kippur episode, it really resonates in terms of the relatability, but also in that really heightened sense that out of my mouth, likes to lean into. I always end the podcast with some stock questions. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. The first is, what is your proudest professional accomplishment? I think my proudest professional accomplishment happened uh, just about a month ago when we were filming Odd Mom Out. And there was something that we were shooting that Jill and I had hatched together even before the writer's room had opened and we were watching the monitor and she just turned to me and said, we are so weird. And it was this moment that really concretized that she and I did have these super bizarre ideas, these crazy, crazy things. And there we were watching it come to life. And that has been an extraordinary ride. And it does really feel like the synthesis of all of those disparate jobs that you heard me describe. I'm using things that I learned on every single one of those jobs on this job. Um, And I just get to tell funny stories in this moment, especially like just to be able to make people laugh feels like an honor. Yeah. It's so important right now. It really is. I think that's, I I love that you said that because I feel like at the end of the day, you know, you deal with a lot of crap in any job and especially sort of in what we do, there can be a lot of setbacks or a lot of, um, you know, frustrating things and, people change and things change and you have to sort of go with it. And I think at the end of the day, what you nailed is that being able to, that moment when you're able to see what you thought of in the shower or what you, you know, talked about maybe casually on the street one day or however it started to be able to then see something that's going to reach all these people. That's kind of what, why we do what we do. Absolutely. So I love that. And do you have any regrets? Not one. Wow. I mean, professionally. Yeah. <laughs> you got another we won't hour. get into those, yeah. <laughs> my, no, I think my only real regret in life is that I gave up my New York apartment in 1993. That I should have. Did I you was own renting. It? No. Okay. I was renting, but it was, you know, a, a one bedroom for $600 a month that like, you know, I, I just should have figured out how to pay for it. But. Right. Because right. <laughs> I would still live there today. And still be paying 600 <laughs> or, or close to Maybe it. Maybe eight at right. this point. Wow. Which We're, on my 375 salary, as yeah, you know, would have been well, really I thought 325. 325. <laughs> Don't give now. I've given a raise. Right, yeah. right. Inflation. Account for inflation. <laughs> so I always ask about your three, your top three favorite unscripted shows, but we'll go unscripted and then we'll go scripted. 
Um, of all time or currently? No, of all time. Oh, my God. These questions are so hard. <laughs> um, I don't give homework. Oh, my God. Give me a minute. Okay. I've watched so many unscripted shows. <laughs> um, I was my three. I mean, I'm going to lean into Bravo here. And, yeah. and that's that's. That's unfair, but I'm just going to. <laughs> um, I did think that Project Runway was, at the time, yeah. that changed everything. Um, and I loved that show. I me mean, too. the And I think that, that ultimately, when you asked me why I was excited about working at Bravo, to be at a place that brought me, that, that brought someone like Austin Scarlett into my home. No one had ever seen anybody like that before, like Jay McCarroll, like Christian Siriano, like Santino Rice. Like, these were people who I had never gotten a chance to meet. And as like a huge John Waters fan, like I like freaks, like (laughs) to be able to see them in my living room was amazing. And, and I can only think if it changed me that much, who's already fringy and weird, (laughs) how much that must've changed people who didn't have access to that kind of representation. So I do think that show is amazing. Um, I, I, only because we mentioned it before, so it's fresh in my head. I thought Small Town Security was a really brilliant show. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was funny. I thought there was so much heart to it um, and different, which I also really respected. Mm-hmm. And then I will just give a shout out to The People's Couch, which was one of the shows that I developed at Bravo. Um, and that was a UK format where, you know, when someone came in saying, it's a show about people watching TV, I was like, that is the death of culture. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and then it was just such a funny show. So good. I had on Aaliyah Silverstein. Did you work with yeah, her? Yeah, 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 we hired her. Oh, yeah. So she, um, if you get a chance to listen to that podcast, she talks about that at length and kind of what the process was to put that together. It was really interesting. Yeah, we we worked very closely on those first. That show had an initial episode of a three-episode flight. Yeah, she And that's about what that. we were in the bay together on all those, just trying to figure out what the hell we were doing. But well, I love funny. that show. Yeah, she told me that, which I didn't know, that you sort of had to do some upgrade on some of those living rooms that weren't actually living. I'm like, of course, totally naive. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> no idea. So do you have favorite scripted, three favorite scripted shows? Obviously, I'm on out. Uh, uh, yes, I only have one. Um, Odd Mom Out. I I'm, I love Casual. Um, I, I tried watching like 10 minutes. I didn't get into it, but I'll, I really could, enjoyed that. I've heard it's good. I love the star whose name I'm Michaela Watkins. On. Yes, I love her. She's great. I mean, I can't give you three of all time, but right. because I mean, obviously, Mad Men is like, oh, yeah. I would say one of the greatest shows Agree. ever. But um, yeah, there's a, I don't, trains, uh, Transparent, I like a lot. What's your favorite um, show that you're watching, right? Favorite scripted show you're watching right now? New one. Well, I've been in the edit bay and in production. Like, I'm not watching so. anything. <laughs> um, I did consume all of I Love Dick over the weekend. I was just going to ask. Oh, wow. Well, we can cut this out, but what do you think? Um, I have a lot of thoughts about that. We'll, Me we'll too. Definitely... Me too. I watched it on the plane. I yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's fun for an obsession. Right? It like definitely yeah. sucks you in the way that her character sucked Sucks me in. It was interesting. Um, do you have anything you want to add? Well, where is Lara Spots going in five years? Um, if you can tell me that, I would love to know. <laughs> I'm gonna take out my crystal ball. Um, I think that you know that's the that's the that's the question my mother keeps asking me daily. Um, is what, Lara, what are you gonna do next? Um, I love the mom voice. I feel like that's its own show on its you own. You should have her on. Yeah, She's... I love that voice. It's like you just became a different person. Uh, if anyone wants to hire me, I I will work for 375 now, as we yes. just said. I, I moved think up. I think that you've let the world know that you are a cheap, cheap <laughs> hire. I am. I'm a really good cheap. That's, that's what we learned. Um, I don't know. I'm back to freelance um, for the first time and uh, yeah. in, in almost 10 years and having a family. And that's going to be, I'll keep you posted. I'll see you in another five years and we'll be able to answer that question. I can't wait. Well, I'm sure it'll be excellent. All, all good things. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you for being here. 